It's Sunday, July 23, 2023, and this is what's on the People's News. Razor wire and buoys used at the border, putting lives at stake. Representative Gene Wu voted no on property tax relief for Texans. He tells you why. Children denied summer food assistance. Black history being revised in Florida. Crooner Tony Bennett died on Friday. All that and more on the People's News. I'm Steve Gallington, this is the People's News, and the People's News starts now. This is Steve Gallington, host of the People's News, and first of all, I want to say thank you for listening to the People's News. But I'd like you to step up that support by doing one of three things. Number one, call 713-526-5738 and leave a message to tell the station that the People's News is important to you and you want to see it on the air more often and on HD1. The second way you can support the People's News is to call that same number, 713-526-5738, and make a donation in our name. And the third way you can support the People's News is to actually get on the air and produce your own stories that we can put out on the People's News. We can accept your voice, written content, or just an idea for the story. Thanks again for supporting the People's News, and I'm looking forward to you supporting the People's News even more in the future. The performative nature of the right wing of the GOP continues as Texas Governor Greg Abbott battles to stop migrants from coming across the border by putting buoys and razor wire in the middle of the navigable Rio Grande River. Migrants have reported being bloodied by being caught up in the razor wire And now an anonymous email from a Texas state trooper has stated that they were told to deny water and medical help for migrants and push them back into the river, including children and nursing mothers. The governor and officials have stated that this is just another tool to stop the invasion of migrants that are taking over the border. That is even though the crossings have been down for months. In light of recent reports exposing cruel and inhumane treatment of migrants at the Texas-Mexico border by the Texas Department of Public Safety. Democratic members of the Harris County delegation and local leaders will host a press conference on Thursday. Christina Morales represents District 145 in the Texas House of Representatives. I am here to express my deep frustration and outrage at the claims made regarding orders given to troopers at the Texas-Mexico border. This is not only an attack on the Latino community, but an assault on our collective humanity. We demand accountability and transparency in the face of these egregious actions. The cruel and inhumane treatment inflicted upon vulnerable asylum seekers at our border is carried out by the Texas Department of Public Safety, DPS, our state's top law enforcement agency. People's lives are at stake, and it is unconscionable that they should, that they, that these acts continue to occur. Let's be clear, people are dying, children are dying, and who decided that they should pay with their lives to cross a border to a better life? We have literally set up death traps at the border. The buoys placed at the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass are designed in such a way 
that swimmers cannot cross underneath, and most do not know that until it's too late. Regarding the claims made by the trooper, if we were instructed to push a child into the river without knowledge of their situation or even their ability to swim, we would recognize that as a criminal act. Let us be clear, these are criminal acts and they demand a thorough investigation. And if wrongdoing is found, those responsible must be held accountable. Furthermore, the claim made in the email that the troopers have been instructed to withhold life-saving water from migrants crossing the river in scorching 100 degree heat is deeply disturbing. And it echoes a similar disregard for human life seen recently in the elimination of municipal ordinances through HB 2127 that provided water breaks for construction workers. When we consider that 50% of construction workers are Latino, we must confront the concerning trend of hostility towards our community. Every human deserves access to basic necessity for survival. During the last legislative session, we faced heinous policy proposals, including HB 20, which would have created a statewide vigilante police force without any consequences for their action. We were able to defeat these proposals, but we must remain vigilant in a fight against such deplorable measures. We must remember that migrants are human beings deserving dignity, respect, and compassion. The troopers who carry out these orders cannot possibly comprehend the circumstances that drive individuals to risk their lives in search of a better future. Seeking asylum is a legal and human right. We must honor our obligations to those facing life and death challenges in their home countries. I want to commend the Texas trooper who had the courage to share the guidance received from DPS with the media. Their act of speaking out has shed light on these disturbing practices. If these actions had remained unchecked, we can only imagine the devastating death toll that would be ensued. And let us be clear, these are not Christian values. If you support these actions and call yourself a Christian, you need to check yourself. These actions do not reflect the values of our great state of Texas. These actions do not reflect the values of our nation. We demand accountability for these cruel and humane acts. We will not idle, stand idly by as our fellow human beings suffered and it is time for justice to prevail. Thank you and let us unite in our pursuit for a more compassionate and just society. Thank you. Thank you for finding the People's News on 90.1 FM, KPFT Houston, HD2. But did you know we're also available in podcast? You can catch up on all the past episodes of the People's News and get your People's News fix in multiple locations. The podcast can be accessed through our Facebook page and everywhere that podcasts can be found. Just take a look for The People's News. 
Also, The People's News is available through my website, gallington.com. If you go to gallington.com, you will see a link there to the podcast. So multiple ways to listen to The People's News and catch up on past episodes. Thanks again for listening. FEEL stands for Families and Their Education. Cesar Espinoza is the executive director of FEEL, and he was on hand along with a recent victim of the cruelty at the border. So my name is Cesar Espinosa and I'm executive director of FIEL. To say that I am disappointed in what we have seen in the last few days, in the last few weeks is an understatement. I think we should all be appalled uh, and we should not look away. In fact, we should direct our attention and we should direct everybody's attention to see what is happening in search of change. To know that this is happening, And to know that this is happening furthermore to children uh, is something that we just cannot stand by and watch happen. We must call for change. We must call for changes to our immigration law. We must call for a reprimand of the governor to make sure that he doesn't overstep his boundaries and not only violate federal statutes, but possibly international law. And we should make sure that if he does, we hold him accountable for his actions, for his callous and cruel actions, and that he knows that he does not represent the state of Texas, the great state of Texas, I may add. It is also important for us to continue to support the many people who are continuing to take this very long trek, this very dangerous trek, and once they make it here, are oftentimes put in peril. At the same time, we must make sure that we advocate for more just immigration laws, So that, number one, the laws that we currently have, which say that people that show up at the U.S.-Mexico border should be paroled in and they should fight their cases in court, that those laws are respected uh, and that we make sure that their humanity is also respected. I want to point out that this is not the end of the road for many of these asylum or refugee seekers, but rather it is the beginning of a very long and complex and expensive process that they have to go through in order to get um, to get where they need to be if they get there. The percentage of acceptance for asylum seekers from Mexico is at a 0.03%. So to say that this is the end of the line for them and that they're ne- they may never have to do this again, uh, unfortunately, is a brave understatement. And finally, to the governor, you cannot be pro-choice only when it's convenient, politically convenient for yourself. If you want to be pro, excuse me, you cannot be pro-life only when it is politically convenient for you. You must be pro-life regardless of where people come from, and you must be pro-life at any expense to make sure that we value and respect human life. Para voy a introducir a la señora Rosario. Ella es una persona que vino aquí viendo el asilo para el gobernador Rocío, perdón. Eh, para el gobernador no solamente puede proteger las vidas cuando le conviene políticamente, pero tiene que proteger las vidas incluyendo las vidas de los niños inmigrantes que están solamente buscando una, un mejor futuro para ellos y para sus, para sus generaciones que vienen. So ahora vamos a tener a Rocío. Uh, les pido un poco de eh, paciencia con Rocío. Ella está muy afectada por lo que está pasando, por lo que ha pasado y, y por lo que ha visto en las noticias los últimos días que le renace el trauma que ella ha pasado. So I do ask for, uh, Rocío will, will now come up. She's going to speak in Spanish. I will translate uh, to the best of my ability. But I do ask for patience for her because she's very traumatized by what her family went through and now reliving uh, these images that we have seen in the last couple of days 
obviously brings back a lot of things uh, to her memory. So, uh, Rocío, vamos a escuchar de usted. Si nos puede contar un poquito de lo que pasó y cómo se siente ahora. Mi nombre es Rocío. Uh, estoy con el único fin de contar mi testimonio real. Uh, so, my name is Rocío, and my only wish is to tell you the real story. Yo uh, trabajé para una organización en mi país. I worked for an organization in my country. En la cual tenía un cargo muy alto y fui perseguida por la agresión de sindicatos. And in the place where um, I had a very high position and unfortunately I was run out of my country by bad people. En la cual mis hijos también sufrieron agresión um, violenta in which my children were also victims of the persecution, uh, sometimes violently. Es donde decidí uh, salir de mi país huyendo por todo lo que me estaba sucediendo. That's when I decided to leave my country because of everything that was happening to me and my family. Tengo tres meses aquí en este país. I have been in the United States for three months. Uh, cuando salí del país mío um, y llegué a México, decidí uh, cruzar con mis hijos porque tenía un permiso de siete días. When I uh, went to Mexico, when I arrived to Mexico, I decided to cross over to the U.S.-Mexico border because I had a seven-day permit to be in Mexico. Um, y um, lo primero que hice fue salir de México uh, a la frontera sin conocer con el temor y con todo lo que había yo visto cómo intentar llegar a estar salvo aquí en este país. So the first thing that I thought of when when presented with that um, with that choice was that I wanted to make my way to the U.S. Mexico border so that I could we could have a fighting chance. Sin imaginar muchas cosas que pasan personas como yo cuando huyen de su país without really taking into consideration or knowing a lot of things that happen to people like me who decide to leave their country. So I crossed the U.S. border by uh, jumping into the Rio Bravo River. Cuando intenté cruzar con mis hijos a lanzarme la primera vez por los días que me quedaban when I attempted to cross the first time because of the lack of time that I, that was left in my permit. We jumped into the river and uh, very quickly we began to drown. Mi niña de siete años, el de 15 y yo. My daughter, who's seven, my 15-year-old, and myself. Vimos una patrulla, un yate de los Estados Unidos, y creímos que ya estábamos a salvo porque nos estábamos ahogando ya mucho. We saw a boat with U.S. Border Patrol on it, and we immediately felt relieved because we thought they were going to come save us. Gritábamos y pedíamos ayuda para ya estar tranquilos. We began to cry and well and ask for help. so that we could be saved. Pero um, ellos veían que nos estábamos ahogando y oh, ya cuando ya estábamos muy mal, ahí decidieron rescatarnos. 
And they waited uh, until the very last moment until they saw we were in definite peril, and that's when they decided to rescue us. Nosotros no entendíamos el idioma del inglés y creíamos que ya estábamos libres de de tanta persecución que veníamos afligiendo de nuestro país. We didn't understand any English, and we thought that at that point we were safe from all the persecution that we have fled in our country. Pero ellos nos volvieron a arrojar al territorio de México porque aducieron que nosotros estábamos en un nivel no de, de pertenencia de ellos, de su territorio, sino que estábamos en medio de, del río y nos dijeron que si estuviéramos a un lado de ellos, nos ayudaban y nos echaron para allá. So they uh, they then proceeded, uh, once we were on the boat, they proceeded to send us back to Mexico because they arbitrarily decided that we were not yet, on, even though we were in the middle of the river, they arbitrarily decided that we were still on the Mexican side of the border and they said that they didn't jump to help us because we were, we hadn't yet reached U.S. territory. A pesar que le rogábamos y le insistíamos que nos ayuden porque nos venían persiguiendo personas con machetes en el territorio mexicano y tenían no solo una cantidad de dinero. Even though we, we begged for them not to return us because uh, at that time we decided to jump in the river because people with machetes were following us um, and we didn't have any more money to give them. No nos ayudaron. En sí tuvimos que... Nos dijeron que nos dirigiéramos al puente, pero nosotros no conocíamos nada. They decided, they still decided not to help us. They told us to head to the nearest checkpoint, um, and we were lost at that point because we didn't even know where we were at. Caminamos desde temprano hasta la noche. We walked from morning till, uh, to nighttime. Hasta que llegamos a un puente. Antes de eso, eh, hombres que nos seguían, nos tuvimos que entregar el dinero que no poco que teníamos. Um, at that point, we there was a point where we did reach a, a, a checkpoint, but by that time we were out of money because there were still uh, men that were following us, and we had to give up all the money that we had. Lastimado por todas las mallas um, de acero que ellos ponen, el cuerpo lo teníamos cansado, herido. We, we were also injured because of the barbed wire they have, that they have set up, uh, and at that point we were just exhausted uh, and hurt. Aún tengo cicatrices de ese momento. I still have scars from that moment. Um, al salir ya no teníamos apoyo, tuvimos que quedarnos un mes en México como muchas personas hacen. Uh, at that point we just didn't have any more support and just like many other people do, we had to stay in Mexico for a month. Hasta buscar nueva oportunidad de, de cruzar. Until we found a new opportunity to come over. Bueno, yo aguerrida como cualquier madre, ¿no? Que cuida a sus hijos y sé todo porque ellos estén bien. Me, as, as many, uh, many uh, hard-fighting women, I did my best so that they could uh, be safe. Creyendo en que Dios iba a abrir puertas. Uh, believing in that God was going to open doors. Y llegamos a cruzar. And we ended up crossing into the U.S. Habremos caminado como dos horas cuando migración nos cogió y nos llevó a la cámara de hielo. We were walking for, we had crossed and we had been walking for about two hours. When we were caught by Border Patrol, we were taken to an icebox. Ahí estuvimos separados los niños, las mamás, aunque mis hijos no querían. Uh, and there, that's where we were finally separated from my uh, children and myself, even though we obviously didn't want to be separated. Por la dificultad de, de lenguaje, 
that because of the language uh, barrier. But we didn't understand and the treatment was definitely not good. Ellos nos daban unas tarjetas con unos números donde teníamos que ingresar eh, por grupos. Uh, they would give us a card with a number where we would have to line up by groups. Y si salías a, a una pregunta o algo de los policías, tenías que volver al mismo lugar. And if you came out for a question, you would have to go back to your place. Cosa que los policías abusaban porque si no regresábamos al mismo lugar, nos ponían separados y... Uh, hay muchas personas que no conocen de códigos, estatutos o leyes. Es ahí yo como madre no quería separarme de mis hijos y me pusieron en otro cuarto. Donde si bien es cierto sabemos que nosotros hemos violentado una ley y estamos detenidos, pero vi abusos. Uh, and at that point, we, we knew that we, we had violated immigration laws, uh, and we, had, we knew uh, that something was happening, but uh, I further saw more abuse by Border Patrol. El tipo de racismo hacia las personas morenas. There was a, a lot of anti-blackness, there was a lot of the, uh, black immigrants were treated uh, a lot worse than we were. En mi caso, yo no dejaba porque conocía muchas las leyes que había estudiado. Uh, in my case, I didn't. I stood up for people because I didn't want. Uh, I knew of laws that I had studied in my country. Pero con las personas morenas, uh, jalaban a los niños o los gritaban, los separaban de sus padres. But with the black immigrants, they would oftentimes pull the children by the hair, uh, and they would definitely keep them separated from their parents and just treat them very badly. Aún en la resistencia de de los uh, alimentos o o esas, telas metálicas que dan para taparse no les daban y es así como que yo no me quedaba callada y decía que conocía los derechos que ellos tenían personas sobre ellos y que prefería muchas veces que me regresen a mi país a que yo vea esa violencia uh, and at that point, I would stand up for people. I would tell them that they, they had rights. I would try to advocate for them. Uh, but I saw so many bad things that there were some times where I would wish they would return me to my country. Eso es todo. And that's just about uh, what she had to say. Gracias. Thank you. And we want to thank uh, Rocio for her bravery, and we want to also thank her. Thank you. Gracias por su valentía y gracias por, por estar aquí. Uh, one of the things that Rocio told me was that she's a, a believer in God, and so am I, and I think many of us uh, truly are, and we feel that um, although it, it's tough, uh, God puts us in a place to advocate for people and to try to help other people. So, gracias, le estaba diciendo que estamos hablando ya que usted también es creyente en Dios, y nosotros también, a veces, aunque las situaciones no son las mejores, yo creo que Dios nos pone en lugar para poder abogar para otros. Así es. Gracias. Thank you. After the conference, we asked Espinoza again about his concerns. Expecting the governor to do something about the border, he blamed the Biden administration. The Biden administration does nothing. Where are we at? Uh, I mean, I think I think it's it's important to or maybe feel a sense of frustration from all sides, but at the end of the day, people continue from both sides of the aisle, from all sides of the aisle. People continue to use this for political gain. People continue to use this for as a political ploy, uh, and and in fact. This is a call to attention to the federal government to do something about it. And one of the things that we've been beating the dead horse on for over three decades now is 
put forward an immigration reform plan so people don't have to resort to crossing illegally. And that's pretty much the only way that we're going to be able to fix this. It's just not me. Um, the way I look at it is the Biden administration is just kind of taking this, taking the border issue to a back, the back seat to other issues. Uh, definitely it has. Um, and, and at the same time, this is one of the pressing issues of our time. So we, we need them to do something now. What do you, your situation that you brought up, that you brought up in today's press conference, where does she stand? Well, uh, she is uh, here now. She's been here now for three months, uh, but she has years of immigration courts, years of fees to, to put forward. So it, when people get here, it's not the end of the road, but rather a beginning of a new road. What about her kids? Uh, her kids are going to have to go through the same thing. They're also in proceedings. Is she with her kids? She's no. with her kids, okay. uh, and the, but they will also face proceedings uh, for a federal judge. And she's working here in Houston area? She's in, here in the Houston area, yes. Okay, thank you. This is Steve Gallington, host of The People's News. And first of all, I want to say thank you for listening to The People's News. But I'd like you to step up that support by doing one of three things. Number one, call 713-526-5738 and leave a message to tell the station that The People's News is important to you and you want to see it on the air more often and on HD1. The second way you can support The People's News is to call that same number, 713-526-5738, and make a donation in our name. And the third way you can support The People's News is to actually get on the air and produce your own stories that we can put out on The People's News. We can accept your voice, written content, or just an idea for the story. Thanks again for supporting The People's News, and I'm looking forward to you supporting The People's News even more in the future. Texas Republicans celebrated finally coming up with a deal on property taxes in Texas. It took two special sessions to get this done, but they finally got their wish, and homeowners will get some tax relief. Representative Gene Wu from Houston voted no on the property tax issue. He stated why. This state, especially the governor and lieutenant governor, are saying how great this is for Texas. This is um, something that's, 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 in, in the waiting for a long time, and it's going to benefit homeowners. Um, when I looked at it, it's only benefiting homeowners of a certain category. Category, and yep. um, uh, just give me your take on it and how how uh, why we had to have two sessions for this. Sure. Um, in, in fact, actually, it's been much longer than two sessions. Um, many of these types of items, especially the homestead exemption uh, increase, have been things that Democrats have fought for for almost two de- two, two decades. Um, many of these things are things that we've been working on for a long time, and that's and the fact that we passed it is fantastic. This is a great bill in many respects, and and a lot of the other changes are good. But the thing is that this is a time of such amazing, bountiful plenty for the entire state, uh, a, a historic, record-setting surplus because of all the things that happened during COVID. So. This is extra money that uh, the state has that everyone has paid into through their sales taxes and, uh, and other fees and expenses. But as we look at this, this giant pile of money and we're just doing special project after a special project and everyone's little things taken care of, and we look around and say, who, who didn't get taken care of? Well, we didn't take care of teachers. And we left 40% of the state's population out of this tax break because they live in apartments or they lease their home. And that's, it's not right. It's simply not right to leave out um, 40% of the state's population 
and especially that we kind of have an idea of who lives in apartments uh, and can't afford to buy a home. And those are often people who, during the pandemic, during the past three years that we said were, were, you know, they were essential workers. They were critical to our state's economy. They were critical to our society in terms of people surviving. But at the same time, we've not increased the minimum wage for two decades now. Two decades of being stuck at seven twenty-five an hour. And at the same time, when these same people work their butts off during the pandemic and could not just stay at home like the rest of us. And when, when things are good and we can share in that goodness, we tell them, well, tough luck. You know, let them eat cake. And that's, that, that's simply wrong. How do you have a table that's so overflowing where people are saying, oh, I'm, I'm stuck. I couldn't have another bite. And yet we tell them, well, here's more. Here's more than you need. And then we look over to the people who actually did the work, all right, actually educate our students, actually takes care of our state, actually, actually makes the uh, economy run. And we look at them and say, let them eat cake. That's, it's unacceptable. It is, it is morally reprehensible, and it is, it is completely un- unacceptable. On, on, the, on the flip side of that, Property taxes, you know, some of the property taxes used to go back to the funding schools. Um, where do we go with where do we go with that? Because you're you're, you're cutting you're cutting property tax in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. That isn't that isn't that cutting money that would go back to your local schools around the state? Yeah, absolutely. So this is what's happening, right? As my mom has <laughs> taught me from an early age, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, right? Somebody has to pay for this stuff. Texas is already one of the lower um, bottom quartile of lowest funded school systems in the nation, right? But even still, education is very expensive, and that's somebody's got to pay for it. And what they've done, essentially, is we did a swap, and we took money that otherwise would have come from local property taxes, and the state has said, we'll do a swap with you if you push your property rates down, uh, then we will then the state will make up that portion. And this is a very good thing, but here's the thing. I think this is dangerous, and I've said this in my, in my speech uh, on this bill, is that this is dangerous because in the past, the Texas legislature has been happy and almost gleeful to cut uh, spending in education when times are bad. And when times are good again, it's really, really hard for them to restore it. And in the past, what had happened was when the state was short on their portion of, um, of education funding, the local property taxes took care of it. Local school districts who didn't have the choice of shutting schools down, who didn't have a choice of not teaching kids, they forcibly made up the difference, right? And we're now taking that ability, not, not, whole, not completely away, but we're significantly taking that ability away from local school districts to control that. My fear is that, that, like the comptroller has said, this surplus will not be there next time. In fact, if we are headed to a recession, if we, anything happens, if some, something goes wrong, right, if we get hit by multiple hurricanes this hurricane season and there's, our, our revenue is not where it needs to be and we need to spend a lot of money on other stuff, I'm afraid that we're going to come back in, in another school cycle 
And the state system is like, well, you know, we don't have that much this time. Good luck. And then local school districts are just looking around like, what do we do? Well, we, we do nothing. And, and that's, that's problematic. That's concerning. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I hate being the I told you so guy, but, like, I, you know, I kind of said, like, hey, we, we need to be careful doing this because we have the legislature has an unfortunate habit of cutting school funding when it's convenient but not restoring it um, when, when times are better. That, that looks, and you, when you say that also, when you look at what's going on in HISD here in Houston, the new superintendent has, a, has, a, has big plans, and he's talking about giving raises, high raises to teachers, and he has uh, pilot programs bringing in counselors and bringing in um, specialists to HISD. Again, I asked him where that money was coming from, and if property tax money is not going to be there, again, is the state going to come back after they took over, after TA took over HISD, are they going to come back and give money to the school? <laughs> um, come on. You, you know the answer, and I know the answer. Of, of course not. Of course the state's not going to come in and fix the problem that they created. Um, you know, the, the scarier, the more sinister version of this is not just uh, not just with the top property tax bill but but with a lot of the other things including vouchers including uh, the HISD takeover including a lot of other things there's a lot of people who suspect that this actually may be a ploy a a starting point for the state to eventually take over public education completely and there's some people who say ah that's never going to happen but look at all the things that we're doing including the takeover HISD that, that the Governor Abbott has long, long tried to do. That eventually the goal is to basically say, you know, when they say, like, we want there to be no property taxes anymore, what they're actually saying is we want state, we want the state to have 100% control over your local schools, over what happened, over school funding, over everything, so that you no longer have a say, and then the legislature and the governor can dictate school policy however they like. And that means cutting education way down, which, you know, then that's what it's going to be. This, this, it hurts a lot. This still hurts a lot of people. But I'm going back to the property tax issue itself. Um, is it, was, it, was, it, was it something that needed to, needed to be, need to take so long to pass? Or is this something that, that both, part, both the governor, the lieutenant governor, and uh, we're trying to just make uh, points out of this. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not the right person to, ask, to answer that question. I mean, look, all I know is that this is stuff that Democrats have been fighting for for decades, if, you know, at, um, and this is stuff that we knew needed to be done. So, you know, with the surplus, with the need for property tax reform, you know what? The governor and lieutenant governor should have had a um, should have had a roundtable. They should have had a work group. They should have had a committee or panel or something well before the session started. And to sit down and say, what is what do you want? What do I want? And let's figure out some compromises. That's when, when we are serious about making changes. That's what we do. They didn't do that. Why? I have no idea. You need to ask them. If this was such a priority um, for the GOP that controls every office in this state, why did they not 
spend more time and more effort working these things out instead of fighting about it publicly on Twitter. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. And you know what? At the minimum, it's really poor leadership. Just one more question. Uh, just dealing with the um, aspect of, of mostly poor, not just poor people, but people that rent. The people that rent get the bottom end of this whole deal. Well, look, I'm saying something about it. Um, I was that one you, of that poor, No, but, the, you know, one of the reasons that I voted against these bills, that I, I agree with and support the bulk of the things that are on, in this legislation, I specifically voted no, and many of my colleagues voted no with me, specifically to say we object to leaving out 40% of the state's population. We object to leaving out some of the most needy and most vulnerable people from this windfall. And it's also to send a message to people who are watching this, who are listening to this, and saying, like, there is someone who cares about you. There are people who will fight for you, who will defend you, and who will look after you. And even and people who are politicians who are willing to take a political hit for not supporting a popular uh, tax reform bill in order to show disdain and, and, and hurt about them leaving you behind. And I think that's an important message. That I, I want people out there to know there are people who genuinely care about you. You are not alone. You are seen. That was Representative Gene Wu from Houston. Thank you. Thank you for finding the People's News on 90.1 FM, KPFT Houston, HD2. But did you know we're also available in podcast? You can catch up on all the past episodes of the People's News and get your People's News fix in multiple locations. The podcast can be accessed through our Facebook page and everywhere that podcasts can be found. Just take a look for the People's News. Also, the People's News is available through my website, gallington.com. If you go to gallington.com, you will see a link there to the podcast. So multiple ways to listen to the People's News and catch up on past episodes. Thanks again for listening. 3.7 million Texas children have been denied federal food assistance. We hear more from Roz Brown and Public News Service. Texas parents under investigation for child abuse by the state will be informed of their rights before their children are removed from the family's home under a law passed by legislators this session. House Bill 730 requires that caseworkers notify parents accused of abuse or neglect of their legal rights, such as their right to an attorney and their right to refuse to answer questions. Andrew Brown with the Texas Public Policy Foundation says from the first knock on the door, the family's rights will come first. It may seem like a small change, but I think this will serve to revolutionize the way that child protective investigations operate in the state of Texas. The bill also requires that child caseworkers document their efforts to keep a child with their family. In addition, the state abuse hotline will no longer accept anonymous tips from parents. The law requires that a parent or person under investigation be provided a written summary by Child Protective Services of the allegations against them. Brown says the new law is centered on family preservation and could reduce some of the trauma families often experience. It hopefully will take some of the fear of having involvement with CPS away. You're never going to be able to remove it because it's a scary process. But knowing that you do have rights, you do have protections in the law. Brown says Texas is one of the first states in the country to expand Miranda-style warnings that must be given to parents in child welfare investigations. For Texas News Service, I'm Roz Brown. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org.
Thank you. Thank you for finding the People's News on 90.1 FM, KPFT Houston, HD2. But did you know we're also available in podcast? You can catch up on all the past episodes of the People's News and get your People's News fix in multiple locations. The podcast can be accessed through our Facebook page and everywhere that podcasts can be found. Just take a look for the People's News. Also, the People's News is available through my website, gallington.com. If you go to gallington.com, you will see a link there to the podcast. So multiple ways to listen to the People's News and catch up on past episodes. Thanks again for listening. The 1923 Rosewood Massacre. The 1920 Okoki Massacre the 1921 Tulsa massacre, all were white mobs that went on a rampage and violence and killed black residents and running them out of the area. In Florida, the Florida State Board of Education's new standard says that this was perpetrated by blacks. Also in their plans to be taught is how slavery was beneficial as slaves learned a trade that could be used to their benefit. This was part of Florida Governor DeSantis and Education Commissioner Manny Diaz Jr., have stated that kids were being indoctrinated of wrong information from left-leaning groups. Teachers' unions and civil rights groups across the state have protested the new African-American history standards approved by the board on Wednesday. Genesis Robinson is the political director for Equal Ground, which is a community-centered organization engaging in the rising American electorate through equal access to education about voting and empowerment. He spoke on what's going on in Florida. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Florida is continuing to build upon its uh, history of uh, trying to silence and erase black voices and black experiences. Uh, You know, we started earlier this, really last year, uh, with the implementation of some legislation that said that there couldn't be conversations that made uh, students, essentially white students, feel uh, discomfort or guilt. And so that was passed out of the legislature last year, the Stop Woke Act. And uh, this year, the governor started the year off by uh, saying that there was no educational value in black studies. And we saw legislation originate out of the legislature, uh, which sought to limit diversity, equity, and inclusion on college campuses. And then uh, just yesterday, the State Board of Education voted to uh, adopt new social study standards, which essentially guide how black history is taught in our K-12 education system. And the problem we have there is in 1994, the Florida legislature was very clear in laying out how black history should be taught. And so uh, this governor, along with this legislature and those on the State Board of Education, are really walking away from what was a bipartisan moment in our state's history less than 30 years ago, right? Here we are fighting this fight again to tell uh, those in leadership that black history matters, there is value in our history, uh, and, and it's just unfortunate that we even have to remind them to do that. So what do you say to people that, you know, there's a lot of history there. We have this the incident where, 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 where black people were attacked, were attacked, one of the most mass, mass I was talking about mass murder, where whites attacked black, black residents just for, um, for no reason. Well, you or know, these... well, you know that's, the, that's, the, that's the unfortunate part about it, right? Like, Florida um, has... Uh, deeply racist history, right? Like when, like all of the examples that you just listed. This is uh, the the place where Rosewood happened. This is a place where the Okoli massacre happened. This is a place where Dr. King marched and said it was one of the most racist places that he had ever been uh, when he came to St. Augustine because they had poured acid 
in a pool where black people were swimming, right? So this is the reality of the history of our state. And no matter how uh, there are attempts to try to whitewash it or desensitize it or omit uh, these uh, stories and these instances, it deserves to be told because if we don't know our history, we're bound to repeat it. And so um, it's, just, it's just quite unfortunate. You know, uh, when you talk about the Code Massacre, uh, which was an incident that took place here in Central Florida, uh, where a group of white vigilantes came and literally wreaked havoc on a black community, all because they were uh, trying to organize and be civically engaged and vote. And uh, they terrorized that community and killed uh, several people in the community. And instead of calling that what it is and acknowledging the horrific uh, tragedy that it was, we adopted standards yesterday that, fra that, that, that framed that incident as a instance of violence perpetrated to black people and by black people. So the very act of defending themselves from these white vigilantes has caused this Board of Education to somehow view that as an act of violence from black people, right? Like that's shameful that we would even teach our children that there's an equivalency to people defending themselves versus people who are attacking a, a group of people all because they don't want them to hold political power. And so, you know, those are the type of instances and those are the type of problems that we have lifted up and we've raised. Uh, Equal Ground authored a letter uh, to the, the members of the Board of Education. Unfortunately, our concerns went largely unheard, um, but it wasn't just our concerns that went unheard. There were over 100 people who came to testify uh, during yesterday's public comment, and the board went ahead and took a vote without even responding to not one of the comments uh, or concerns that was lifted up. They just moved right ahead because that's what happens when power is such concentrated, and they don't you know, have to listen to the voices because there's no repercussions for if they don't. Are there any, are there any people of color on, on this board? No, this is a 100% white board, and, 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 and thank you for bringing that up, right, because – when you talk about black history, we're already starting a step behind when you have mostly, uh, well, you have a majority state white board, a state board of education that's completely white, but then the people who adopted some of these standards um, you know, don't look like, uh, you know, black people, right, or are not black people, right? And so you need black people at the table. You need black people from a, a wide range of experiences and viewpoints and thoughts. Right, we're not a monolith, and so uh, we should have been brought in to help craft this. You know, the uh, sad part about this is in 1994, when the legislature um, passed a law to require the teaching of black history, they actually also created a task force that was called the African American History Task Force. But what happened is the governor uh, under DeSantis has politicized this board, and he recently appointed all of his black uh, token uh, friends and cronies, right, to the board. And so, yes, it's a black face, but they don't represent the interests of black people. Just yesterday, you had the chairman of this board get up in front of the committee as the chairman of the African American History Task Force and co-sign and endorse these standards, right? And so, that's the game they're playing. Uh, they're rolling out black faces to make it seem as if what is uh, happening isn't real. Uh, but if you do 
the research, if you you know do your independent reading of these standards, it's very clear that um, they don't tell the full scope and breadth of black history. And let's not forget that Miami was once segregated also. Absolutely. It had, you know, Muhammad Ali, when Muhammad Ali won a championship and Cassius Clay, he won in a segregated Miami. That's Miami right. Beach, Miami Beach, that is. Yeah, so, so, you know, like the history is deep, and, 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 and that's our only thing to them is, listen, give people the academic freedom as well as the ability to learn uh, information. You know, there's no harm in being equipped with the truth, and for whatever reason, uh, the governor has chosen to weaponize uh, information. He chose to censor and silence voices who want to tell the truth and be honest about the history of this state and this country. What about Afro-Caribbeans and even Cubans? Is that something that the, the history there, is that is that also being censored? Yeah, you know, I mean, so at, at this point, um, you know, any any – person of color is really under attack, right? When you talk about our heritage, our history, our contributions, right, um, all of that is um, being under attack. And essentially the, 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 uh, the, the measure that passed um, that pertains to state colleges and universities had language in that essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, that essentially said, you know, if a campus activity or college course somehow espouses or believes that systematic racism is ingrained into the American fabric, then those type of classes and courses and activities should be banned, right? And so just think about that. Like, just take a step back and hear what that is that's in law now, that just because you believe that systematic racism was a part of the founding of this country, somehow you're to be punished, you're to be, you know, uh, uh, excluded from being able to, to teach that type of uh, lesson. Well, that's the reality, right? Like this country was founded allowing the institution of slavery. And so for anybody to deny that fact uh, or to try to act as if that's not real, it's just not being honest, and they're whitewashing history. Also the fact that the uh, that Florida succeeded from the union. That's right, in 1861. So exactly. So that's, that's another point. You know, they want it like in these standards, they bring up, the institution of slavery, right? So it's not as if you can't mention the word slavery, but it's just the fact that they omit so much of the story is what's problematic for us. So they want to, and, and, and not only that, they refer to uh, black people as slaves, right? Not recognizing how dehumanizing and belittle, belittling it is to refer to our ancestors as slaves when they were stolen from their land and they were enslaved, right? These are not people who are just genetically slaves. So that's problematic. But to your point, uh, we talk about slavery and these standards, but we ignore the role Florida played in that, right? So, yes, uh, Florida succeeded from the union. I think it was in 1861 where they backed out um, of the union over the issue of slavery. Uh, you, uh, you know, fast forwarding past that, you had uh, Brown versus Board of Education, uh, which was a monumental decision in terms of education policy. And the state of Florida passed a resolution to try to stop enforcement of Brown versus Board of Education in the state. So it's like, you know, they want to tell one side of it but not tell the complete story. Does this include them trying to blame African Americans or black people for slavery? Well, um, we saw some, some language in there that suggested that um, because it, it, it added a new standard which required 
uh, students to study the origination of slavery prior to it coming here to the um, to the uh, U.S. So the European African uh, continent um, instances where there were slavery. So essentially, um, it is to, to sort of say that the U.S. didn't institute the uh, practice of slavery, right? Um, and so instead of worrying about teaching the fact that it's wrong wherever it rears this ugly head in the in the world, we want to play the blame game and play the who was first game, well, we didn't start it game. And, and, and you know, we just don't have room for that, right? we got to be uh, real. And, you know, to take it a step further, these uh, standards that were adopted uh, essentially uh, suggested that black people somehow benefited from slavery. There's language in the in the standards that said uh, that there were positive things and positive lessons and traits and values that we, uh, you know, got from going through that experience as a people. And so it's just it's just ridiculous and shameful. Uh, but you know. They have no shame. Uh, they're just trying to placate to a base that uh, has bought into the culture wars, who has bought into this notion of that truth is somehow woke, uh, when the reality of it is, is you know, um, truth is the truth, and we got to continue to be honest about where we are in this state. How are you guys fighting this? So, you know, our organization, Equal Ground, uh, we've been on the ground uh, here, no pun intended, here in uh, in um, Florida for some time now. You know, continuing to build relationships. You know, we're going to continue to speak out. Um, it was important for us to be there yesterday. We pretty much knew the, the, the likely outcome of that vote. Um, but it's important that we not allow them to dominate the narrative, right, that no one is pushing back or that no one cares about these issues. So that's first and foremost, is we're trying to make sure that we continue to voice our opposition. We're trying to educate more people about this. You know, you, you would be surprised how many people, black folks, uh, white folks even, but black folks in particular, who had no idea this was happening, who had no idea that this was something that was being considered. So we have to heighten our awareness. But then uh, thirdly, you know, we're, we're doing everything that we can to find outlets and ways to partner with social, civic, churches, you know, nonprofits to educate our kids. You know, um, everyone deserves an accurate accounting of black history, but it's vitally important that little black boys and girls know their history. And so we have to continue to try to do it outside of the classroom where they fall short, you know, um, and make sure that we're doing that. So we've seen, you know, organizations uh, within the state, such as the Black History Project, you know, who are taking on that role. They're uh, partnering and contracting with uh, educators to, to, to teach a black history curriculum that is more robust, that includes, uh, you know, information that should not be omitted. And so we're excited to support, you know, the independent efforts uh, to try to uh, educate our students beyond the classroom. How do people get in touch with your organization and when we'll find out more information? So we're, we're on all the social media platforms at, uh, using our uh, handle at Equal Ground. Uh, our email is info at equalground.com. Uh, and again, we're on all the social media platforms, and we can be reached via email or on the web at equalground-.com. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's pretty much how you can get in touch with us. That was Genesis Robinson, the political director of Equal Ground. This is Steve Gallington, host of The People's News. And first of all, I want to say thank you for listening to The People's News. But I'd like you to step up that support 
by doing one of three things. Number one, call 713-526-5738 and leave a message to tell the station that the people's news is important to you and you want to see it on the air more often and on HD1. The second way you can support the people's news is to call that same number, 713-526-5738, and make a donation in our name. And the third way you can support the people's news is to actually get on the air and produce your own stories that we can put out on the people's news. We can accept your voice, written content, or just an idea for the story. Thanks again for supporting the people's news, and I'm looking forward to you supporting the people's news even more in the future. We close the show with the music of the late, great Tony Bennett, who passed away at the age of 96. The master pop vocalist and crooner, who had a professional career spanning eight decades with a number one album at age 85, died on Friday morning in New York City. Poets often use many words to say a simple thing. It takes thought and time and rhyme to make a poem sing. The People's News is a production of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston and is protected by copyright laws. Contributors' content is used with their permission and remains their intellectual property. All the information broadcast on air and online, as well as published both in print and or online, including articles, audio clips, illustrations, graphics, photographs, and videos, are protected by these copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Therefore, you may not use our content in any prohibited way including reproducing, publishing, transmitting, selling, rewriting, broadcasting, or posting on the Internet without the expressed written permission of the People's News. Prohibited use also includes publication of our material in printed or electronic brochures, in newsletters or flyers, as well as all website or email distribution. Thank you.